A reading from Psalm 19. Heaven is declaring God's glory. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. The Lord's regulations are right, gladdening the heart. The Lord's commands are pure, giving light to the eyes. Honoring the Lord is correct, lasting forever. The Lord's judgments are true. All of these are righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than tons of pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, even dripping off the honeycomb. A reading from Jeremiah, chapter 29. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote, promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare now for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Lord's judgments are true. They are more desirable than gold. Every couple of years, the church arranges to have a full audit done of our books. This is one of, has been one of those years, and so the church staff, along with our finance chair, Jeff Quessenberry, who just retired as the CFO of the Fox Theater, got together all of the documents that were required by the auditors, the budgets and the P&Ls and the balance sheets, all of it. And the auditors came and they did a full and thorough review of our books. So as not to bury the lead, let me say that the audit came back clean, that the church is a good steward, has been a good steward of your tithes and offerings. Churches use them with integrity. We're paying our apportionments, our missional giving at 100%. That's well over $100,000 this last year towards the work of mission. Our revenue is up. Our spending is manageable. We don't have to rely anymore on the church's endowment for operating funds. In fact, our operating funds have been so strong we've been able to use proceeds from the endowment for mission for the last several years. The church is well positioned 
to continue to serve God and our neighbors, thanks in part to a strong staff, but especially thanks to you. Now this is all good, of course, but for all of its detail, the audit cannot give us findings about the effectiveness of our dedication to the mission. How effectively we are making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The auditors, they said, we're not qualified to look at the heart of Decatur First, at things more desirable than gold. You got to dig deeper than that. You got to get to know people. You got to listen to their stories. If you wanted to do an audit of the heart of Decatur First, you'd have to listen to the story of the woman who sat in my office recently, who felt like Job, she said. She had experienced loss after loss after loss in recent months. And the truth is, I get her point. It had been an awful year for her. And when you're in the thick of that kind of thing, it's natural to start to wonder, what did I do wrong? Am I cursed? Why is this all happening to me? Except for this woman didn't ask any of those questions. This woman who had experienced personal loss and professional loss and health setbacks, who had shared with me, the, uh, she shared with me the many ways in which the church, this church, and in particular, her service to this church, had sustained her faith even when her life was extraordinarily difficult. If you want to do a, an audit of the heart of Decatur First, you'd have to listen to the story of the person who came to speak with me, who shared that they were gay, who came to me in tears after finding home here at Decatur First, despite the fact that this person had a history of being excluded from church, despite the fact that the United Methodist Church has not yet gotten its act together at the denominational level, despite the message that we sometimes hear out in the world that church is irrelevant. Having heard this story again and again and again in the forms of different people who share it with me, let me tell you, it is powerful when somebody finds home here in this place with all of you. But you probably knew that for many of you have found home in this place. If you wanted to do an audit of the heart of Decatur First, you'd have to listen to the story of the veteran, or actually the several veterans, who were literally moved out of homelessness and into their own places because of your generosity on Christmas Eve, as this last year we supported Project Take Charge of Decatur Cooperative Ministries with the goal of making sure that no person who has served this country would ever be without a home. You did that, both because of your generosity on that day, but just as importantly, by giving to the work of God through the church throughout the year so that we could afford to give away the offering on the busiest day of the year for the church. We gave away every cent. If you'd want to do an audit of the heart of Decatur first, you'd have to listen to the story of the person of color who came to me grateful 
that a predominantly white church like Decatur First would take seriously the work of racial justice, not as a sentiment, but as our difficult, gritty, faithful charge as Christians in the 21st century. You have to listen to the story of the woman in recovery whose faith has been restored by the 12 steps. The faith, uh, the seeds of that faith, she told me, came from the lesson she learned here in this place. You'd have to listen to the story of the two families, both with young kids, who have signed up to serve dinner at Hagar's house, our transitional shelter, our emergency transitional shelter, one family on Christmas Day, one family the week before, all because of their faith in and their love for Jesus. You'd have to listen to the parents of the child with a disability who has found peace and home in this congregation. You would have to listen to the story of the youth who who has in the past contemplated suicide, but who has found strength for the journey in the Decatur First youth group. You would have to listen to the team here at the church so committed to reaching out to our community that they have arranged for us this winter to be a warming shelter on nights that fall below freezing so that people experiencing homelessness have a place to go with a bed and a meal and warm hospitality. You'd have to listen to the story of the person who came to faith because of you, because of this community, and because of the grace of God who was baptized and who is following Jesus today because of your faithfulness and your witness. You'd have to listen to the story of the teacher in this community who does difficult work and who is able to keep going because of you, the support of this community, her church. I have enough stories that we could be here until tomorrow. Not all these stories are life-changing, of course. Some of them are small, everyday, pedestrian. Stories of small steps in faith, small steps of love. But then that's how life happens in the everyday in pedestrian moments and stories. That's how faith is lived. It was Mother Teresa, after all, who reminded us that small things done with great love can change the world. If all of this sounds a little familiar, if it sounds a little bit like the mor this morning's Scripture reading from the prophet Jeremiah, I don't think that is an accident. Because it is through small acts of faith that we grow as God's people. The passage you heard this morning is from the lectionary, which is the schedule of Bible readings used by churches all over the world. And it just so happens to include your pastor's very favorite verse in the whole Bible, Jeremiah 29, 7. Work for the welfare of the place where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find yours. That's some profound truth right there. Though I suspect it was not easy for the Israelites to hear. For one, they had been sent into exile. And while I can't say for sure, I feel like being sent by God into exile for decades is something that you probably want to avoid. And what's more, in their hour of need, 
God told the Israelites who were suffering that they needed to help other people, which must have led somebody to ask, what about me? That's what I would have asked. What about me? And the answer to what about me, God says, is to work for the well-being of other people of the place where you've been sent into exile for in its welfare, you will find yours. That's what about you. It's not about you. And yet in it's not about you-ness, you will find your purpose. If that sounds to you like a paradox, the only thing I can add is that it is a profoundly Christian paradox. Today, on the day in which we talk specifically about financial giving to the church, it is important to remember that none of this is about us, not about you or me. And yet it is in that not about usness that we find our purpose. That can be a scary prospect, especially for those of us who have our own families to care for. But the Bible is clear and Christian history shows us even more that when we turn outward, when we are generous, when we remember that the Lord's judgment, judgments are more desirable than gold, when we live and give for others, that is when we prosper the most. Scripture is also clear that God's standards for living this way is the tithe. That's a Christian word if ever there were a Christian word, but it's older than Jesus actually. Tithing is the principle of giving the first 10% of your income, your first fruits to the work of God through the church. It's a practice that began thousands of years ago as the first Jews gave the first 10% of their grain or their livestock or the products of their trades. It's a practice that has continued through the centuries as societies have moved from in-kind transactions to cash transactions as millions of Christians gave the first 10% of their income to the work of God through the church and it is the standard that the church holds today. This month, you've heard stories of several of the folks in this church who practice tithing and the profound blessings that they have received as a result. The blessings they've received are not the same kind of blessings that some preachers will promise you as if tithing is all about you, as if you give 10% of your money to the church, God will give you more money. The only thing I read in scripture about what happens to your money when you give it to the church is that you will have less money. I don't know which Bible those preachers are reading, but my Bible tells me that the Lord's judgments are true. They are more desirable than gold. The blessings of tithing are much more profound than some sort of financial quid pro quo. This has been the experience of my life, not that it's always come easy. Generosity, after all, is a form of love, and love is hard work. It is by loving that we increase our capacity to give and receive love. It is by being generous that we increase our capacity to give and receive generously. 
And in the spirit of generosity, let me say this. If you aren't a tither, please know there is grace here. As Methodists, we are taught to lead with grace. That's how God leads too. This sermon is not meant to be a guilt trip. 10% is a lot of money. And like many of you, I've not always been a tither. Didn't come out of the womb this way. It took Stacy and I, my wife and I, a few years after getting married to get there. We started by picking a percentage of our income that we felt we could give. Over the years, we increased until we got to 10%. And on the occasions that we've received salary increases, our giving has increased as well. A few years ago, we also started tithing on the value of our church-provided housing. And while it's not always been easy, I cannot tell you how central the practice of giving has become to our spirituality. It's not my money after all. It's God's money. So if you're not yet a tither, I would invite you to try the same thing. Pick a percentage of your income. Four or one or seven. Whatever you feel like you can swing and start there. Grow over time. God honors that. The church honors that. It is the nature of our faith after all that we start where we are and with God's help we move towards being made more perfect in love. As for me, a few years ago I began the practice of sharing in worship what I will be writing on my estimate of giving card next week, and I don't just mean my name. I share this with you not to boast. There are many people in this room who are more generous than me, either in terms of how much they give to the church or what percentage of their income they give. But I do think it is important that you know that I practice what I preach. In fact, I have told the folks in our financial office that while, of course, our giving records are confidential, you can go at any time and ask for mine, and they are to give it to you, and they don't even need to tell me about it. So next Sunday, as we receive our estimate of giving cards, I will write that next year I will give $250 a week to the work of God through the church. That represents $13,000 over the course of the year. That's 10% of my income before taxes, plus 10% of my housing, plus a little more that we budgeted as a way to show our support for the ministries of this church and our gratitude to God for all we've been given. My wife, Stacy serves as a pastor at Shambly First United Methodist Church. She tithes to the church that she serves in a similar way. Way. We try to be supportive of our schools and our favorite charities on top of that. We've discovered that being generous begets being generous. That's become even more easy for us. In fact, we have signed up for automatic bank drafts through the church website. I hope that you would consider doing the same so that my gift comes to God whether I am here or not. It is one way we show thanks to God. It is not the only way, but it is vital. Let me end this way. This year will be a pivotal one for Decatur First United Methodist Church. I believe that. We are called to be the church, you and me. To be a place that creates the kinds of stories that I have shared with you this morning. They are all true and they've all happened in the last year. And they were all made possible because of the grace of God and 
because of your tithes and offerings. We are called to be the church, you and me, despite whatever it is that is happening at the denomination, maybe especially because of whatever it is that is happening at the denomination, as you remain on the leading edge of what it means to be a church that leads with grace. We are called to be the church, you and me, despite whatever it is that is happening in the world, maybe especially because of whatever it is that is happening in the world. And your giving is central to that work of being the church, not ancillary to it, but central. So I need to ask you something. I need to ask you this week to spend considerable time in prayer and in conversation with your loved ones. And to consider this question. What percentage of my income is God calling me to give to God through the work of the church? I need you to pray about that, seriously. And then next Sunday, next Sunday we will come together We will fill out our estimate of giving cards and worship. We will set them on the altar as an offering. We will celebrate in worship and after as we celebrate a meal together. And we'll come together to get a taste of the amazing things that God can and will do through this place. Through your faithfulness. The Lord's judgments, after all, are true and they are more desirable than gold. Dear friends, may we live as if we believe it is so. In Christ's name, amen.